Good evening, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We are a good podcast where three guys with perfect opinions about movies, TV, and culture discuss something that they are in the mood to discuss. I wish there was a better theme than that, but that's what it is right now. This is season four of the show, which is where we have a series of segments uh, about a topic and what and the zeitgeist around us or that topic. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording today from a rainy North Koreatown, Los Angeles, um, and I am joined um, from Southeast Portland. Uh, you can kind of see his face, but it's covered by magic fabric. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, excited to be here. That's right. We're breaking ground with three white guys talking about what we want to talk about. <laughs> you don't have no to say that No one else is doing time. that on the podcast. Uh, it no, just it does, it does feel bad when you say that every I'm time. Good. Well, you, you set me up for it, so I appreciate it. Also, I, I'm excited to be here. I, I don't have a good description yeah. of what the show is about. Um, And if you do want to, uh, I'll tell the story in a second. Go on and introduce yeah. Hang tight. Yeah, bring in our other panels today. He's at Hunbun on Letterboxd in the woods of Arkansas. The smartest man alive. It's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. But doctor, I am Pagliacci. <laughs> you should have switched those around because you got the voice changer. Yeah, uh-huh. I didn't even think about that. Uh, before we start, I'd like to thank some of our meat buddies. Specifically, I want to thank Justin, who just moved over to the Patreon um, after supporting the show since 2016, which is getting up there, you guys. Five-year anniversary. That's incredible. Yeah, whoa. Whoa. Um, we, we've had a handful of new Meat Buddies who have signed up for the Patreon recently, and we haven't done a thank you segment a little bit because they have all been um, slow to respond to my questionnaire asking how we can thank them, which is not no pressure. If you don't want us to thank you, no biggie, but just know that I appreciate you anyway, even if we're not doing a fun segment about you. Um, if you'd like to join them and keep the show... Uh, just limping down the tracks. Go to metreon.com, and we really appreciate everyone who supports Read It and Weep. All right, so we have... This is part one of a two-part special we are doing about the, uh, you know, hilarious, drawn, Sunday fun day comic strip in a long version, uh, Watchmen. It is. There actually are some funny jokes in it that Mm -hmm. I had forgotten about. Actually. I feel like the comedian is less funny than I would like, but the that's comedian true isn't funny comedians. at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, he's kind of like uh he does comedy in the same way that like Tim uh, Heidecker does comedy. You know, it's real <laughs> anti-comedy. You know, it's real like I just wish are... they just called him like the open micer or something. Because like I think he's about as funny as the Joker is in the Joker movie. Oh, that's, that's true. That your jokester. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he's basically the joke. jokester level funny. Um, yeah, that's fair. So this is, um, okay. So we're talking about Watchmen. We're going to do, we have three segments for you today, but they're a little bit different, uh, than usual. So instead of starting out with the news, we're going to start out, um, with some history for the a history project. So we're going to talk about your histories, uh, with this work, what brought us here. And actually probably the best way to start this, um, is to have, um, Anthony, you tell us because th- this is an Anthony surprise, Anthony mm-hmm. special. Um, why are we here? Well, I have uh, been trying to get you to read Watchmen for a while. And this is I, true. Behind the scenes, you've pitched this in like six different versions, and yes. we finally were able to work one into the schedule. Um, and I think this will be fun, you know, like this sort of segment to talk about our own history with it and sort of the context of the book that I think is important to kind of have going into this if you're reading mm-hmm. it. 
Um, but yeah, I have been wanting to get you to read this. I wanted a chance to talk about it. I, um, because you think I would like it or because you would like talking about it. I think you, I hope that you would like that, that you do like this book. Uh, I don't want to, I, I'm not like breaking any new ground here when I say, I think, uh, Notch Watchmen is a, uh, pretty good book. Uh, maybe, uh, not underrated since it's considered one of the greatest novels of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I you, just to be clear, because you, you said that as if you never suggest something that you don't think I will like, but you're also going to make me watch the Snyder Cut in two weeks. So you do do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're look, we're all taking it on the chin with the Snyder Cut. All right. Let's not pretend. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Hunter and I were fine not doing yeah. it. Uh, society <laughs> is asking. Look, we'll have we'll have plenty of time to talk about the four hour Snyder Cut. Oh, uh, you so know, I'm gonna I'm gonna click on it and I'm just hoping it'll accidentally play Tom, Tom and Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I so I I am a big fan of this book. I probably read this when I was like 13, 14, and then it was like a yearly read until I was in like around 20, and then I've probably read it twice since then. Uh, last time I read it was about a few years ago on a vacation. My wife and I went. It was like a real laid-back thing. I wanted to kind of have something that was an easy read. Um, and and yeah, it, it is an easy read. It's mostly pictures. Yeah, and I just love it. I, I think that Watchmen is something, reading it, every time I go back to into it, uh, I think that you know a lot of people say this about a lot of the best books out there, that you can get something new out of it, and Watchmen is like, the greatest example of that I can think to like my main mm-hmm. thing taking it reading at this time, that is like something that I talked about a lot in the sort of film school segment we did last year about mm-hmm. how one of my favorite things in movies. And one of the things that annoys me the most in movies I don't like is when like a movie that like, it feels like the world ends at the edge of the frame, you know, and like mm-hmm. how the Literally best movies, game. Yeah, the best movies feel like the world exists. Watchmen is like the only book I've ever read, only comic, that truly feels like the world goes on outside of each panel. It's just such a text that you can fall into. Um, I I think so. The the furthest extreme example of that is Disney and specifically Star Wars, where they were like, we will show you literally every centimeter of this universe. You can't stop us. Yeah, well, the difference is you think that it ends at the end of the frame. No, we have seven series about what's just on the other <laughs> side of that frame. But see, I, it's funny that you say that, though, because I would say I would say that from project to project, Star Wars definitely only exists within the frame. Yeah, because the logic of the universe doesn't really ever make any sense. Yeah, but you're right. They're basically just pumping out 10 different Here's a bunch of different shows where the universe doesn't really go that far. Do you want to see what's on the other side of this wall? We just gave seven we'll movies show you to a new director that. to yeah. tell you about it's that like, room. It's like unfolding a fictional universe, just tiny little pieces at a mm-hmm. time. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Watchmen instead is like this own self-contained story that the way it builds out its universe, the way it flushes stuff out, the way it uses different mediums within it, I think it's just like, such an astounding work of genius. Again, I feel like it's very cliche to say about Watchmen at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, like, every time I read it, I just get so much new out of it. And it's, like, it's the type of thing that I think would make fun thing to talk about. And I know especially because I think a lot of with, like, people who kind of don't really know much about it, it's very easy to assume that it's, like, another superhero-type story. 
uh, I mean, but I this is like their assessment. There are yeah. superheroes and it is a story. But the thing is like what I kind of say, want to talk about is like getting into like the context of this is like, okay. So reading this again, it got me to look at, start reading also the dark Knight returns, which is the Frank Miller book, uh, mm. which came out the same exact year as this which blew my mind. I can't imagine what that must've been like. Like I can't think of any other medium that had two such substantial... It would be like if Jaws and Star Wars had come out in the same year, right? And like <laughs> completely changed the way movies but were made. Did this have an immediate response that year? Yes. Because this- it takes like a year and a half for the series to all come out yeah. because of the way comic books work. Yeah. So, so w- was it like episode... Issue one, everyone lost their shit? Uh, that's basically how, I, from my understanding, it was considered a critical thing, you know? And, like, you have to remember, especially, like, pre-Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns, right? They were, like, comic books were essentially what the, like, the most derogative, simple version of, like, a kid's cartoon was, right? It, they were, there was, you know, like, Alan Moore and Frank Miller were working in the background on smaller comics like Swamp Man and, like, Daredevil doing really innovative stuff. But, like, for the most part, Batman was still stuck in the 1960s show, right? That is what Batman mm. was. And then, you know, you most... The one true Batman, Adam West? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the the correct one, interpretation of Batman? Fun fact, that is Alan Moore's favorite interpretation Batman, yeah. of Batman. Oh, interesting. That, well, we have that in common. Yeah. I, yeah. I most, I think, I've told you this before, but my my main reasoning behind that is because Adam West went to the same college that yeah. I did. Well, I also he's like think, our most famous graduate, but also he's just the best. So. Yeah, and look, Alex, I think you would be surprised that you and Alan Moore have a lot of stuff in common. You're both... See, you, the way you say that makes it sound like he's done some racist stuff. I don't know who you're no, talking no. about. I can't avow no, anything no, you're not saying. No, no, no. Okay. Hey. Okay. Keep Alan Moore's name out of cancel. No, I'm just telling you, I don't know. You're you're saying this like it's a trap. So for the record, I haven't agreed to that yet. I don't know who this person is. Well, Alex, it is a trap. But let me get to it. It's a fun one. (laughs) But no, I mean, think about all the things. Yeah, you and Alan Moore have in common. You both are real true anarchists. Not like (laughs) high school kid writing anarchy. You both like magic. You both both, love magic. You both like magic. He's technically a wizard. Uh, you, you, you both mean in the are, clan? Is that a trap? No, no. like an actual occultist wizard. Nah, he both, doesn't. He doesn't like magic like the way you like magic, Alex. He does like oh, ritual magic. Yeah, you're both. Oh, I'm not uh, big on that kind. You're both married with a mutual lover uh, <laughs> that lives with you and is a business partner. I don't uh, understand what that means. Well, um, I mean, that's just like my my favorite thing. Uh, a lot of things I love about Alan Moore's life, but uh, he, him, his wife, and they had this this third partner who was their mutual lover and business partner oh, for okay. like twenty years. And then in the nineties, his wife and the business partner left Alan Moore for each other, which I think is very <laughs> funny. Uh, yeah. Good with that. But yeah, you know, he's it does suck when the band reforms without you. Yeah, I, I exactly. do know that That's feeling. Right. Uh, but but um, I, I got to say, as somebody where like I am, I guess we're not, we're not exactly business partners, but I was just working on our 2020 taxes and I I am a failing business that my wife is investing in. Yes, yeah, exciting. Yeah. So um, that's kind of similar. Um, OK, I want to get Hunter in here. Uh, so we've heard a lot about about your interest in this, Anthony. Hunter, where are you coming at this from? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think the first time I read Watchmen was like junior year of high school and i think i kind of lucked out because i feel like i read it 
uh, at a good time as far as how I was feeling about superheroes and how much superhero media I was uh, intaking because and I feel like Watchmen. Do what? How how were you feeling about it? Um, so I was a a big X Men fan uh, when I was in high school, and I bought um, one of those stupid. They have these like absolute X Men collections, or I think they do this with all the Marvel comic books, where they literally collect like all oh, of the yeah. old issues in like one big fat omnibus mm. or whatever. And I remember I actually read every X Men comic from like. 1970 to 1980 something um so i was like becoming a a i would say a, a legitimate comic fan and then i read watchmen and i was like oh yeah superheroes are kind of messed up i guess i'd never really thought about it like that before right. and then and then it kind of broke the uh, the investment level and i just started reading i would say more uh interesting st- things but for a while so you were, uh, all you i was were reading was alan moore your childhood and alan moore was like here's how you graduate but keep giving money to the detectives comics universe no i think i think alan my take on watchmen is that it should have been the last superhero comic mm-hmm. that people should have read it and been like oh my god this is such a messed up idea the yeah. second you even sort of investigate underneath the right. surface we should stop well, doing this yeah, and I instead mean, what happened was people were like ah nah, just suppress all that Leave that on the side. Don't worry I mean, about it. You have it. to be very naive to think that that would happen that way. Mm. But I, I mean, you have to I think at the at the time as well. Like a huge part of like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, the thing that like this postmodern kind of realistic view of superheroes, which feels very passe nowadays, because Watchmen came out almost forty years ago. Like this was the first text to do that. Right, which is crazy and wild to think about because superhero deconstruction is such a popular part of like storytelling and movies these well, days. Well, that's why that's why I feel like it was naive to think that because it seems like culturally it just happens over and over again. It reminds me of that story about uh, wrestling and kayfab or whatever, be- kayfabe, kayfabe becoming part of the thing where they were like, "We mm-hmm. we blew it. We showed the real truth." But instead of that messing us up, now the truth is part of the fake thing. Well, see, like, I don't we always I, take- I, I, I have to push back a little bit because I, I don't necessarily agree that the trend since Watchmen has been that superheroes deconstruct themselves. Mm-hmm. I think the trend since Watchmen, I think they, they learned the wrong lesson, which was right. Simply, and when is society not chosen to, yeah, especially the entertainment industry, to take right. the wrong you're completely lesson? Right. Uh, but when I'm reading Watchmen, I am convinced of that that this is a discovery, and the, and and honestly, and Alan Moore did this like several times in other books too. He also did a a Marvel Man run that ended up essentially the character Marvel Marvel Man become or Miracle Man rather uh, becomes like a god and rules over the planet. Mm-hmm. So like Alan Moore was just all mm-hmm. on the idea of like this idea of like superheroes is like pretty messed up and doesn't make any sense. And if it happened in the real world, it would not be fun. We would not be happy living in that world. I think that's why I compared it to like Jaws and Star Wars, because I do think like Alan Moore, when you listen to him talk about modern comic books and culture, it's very similar to when you, if you hear Spielberg or like Lucas talk about modern or Scorsese, Yeah, but 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 Scorsese never like he wasn't the reason modern blockbusters got fucked up. Spielberg and Lucas literally are right when and you can find so many interviews with them being like, no, we just wanted to make movies that would like 
that we wanted to make. We didn't think that our movies were going to become the only movies that got right, made. The template. Yeah, right, we right didn't there. think that by making Jaws and Raiders, we were going to kill smaller movies. Right. Which okay. Is, but sorry, I I, I have. Um, yeah. So the point I was trying to make <laughs> was uh, that that I think the the comic book industry and by extension the film industry. Um, took away the the wrong lesson uh, from Watchmen, which uh, was just instead of uh, thinking more deeply on what these superhero stories are about and what they might say about society, they just thought, no, I think it'd be better if these were just darker and and grimmer. And I, I almost feel like Alan Moore was trying to say, like, superheroes don't work for adults. Like, they can't, it, it's not an adult genre inherently. Mm. And, you know, DC looks at that and is like, okay, I get what you're saying. Batman needs a gun and he needs to shoot people now. I'm reading you loud and clear. This is for children to watch a man in tights who dresses like a bat. And now he he kills people, which I think actually I you you mentioned uh, Dark Knight Returns. I actually don't like that book as much, I think, because of Watchmen, because I feel like that book kind of is. Uh, that whole idea writ large. It's just like, wouldn't it be cool if Batman was like a killer? And it's like, isn't he already almost a killer? Like, yeah. it's well, he's well, almost that, all the way there. That's <laughs> the thing that made like uh, reading these two back to back, especially with like the hindsight of age and time and everything, is like, especially with the way the two writers have gone on to produce work in a certain style. And like, there was always this element with like, Frank Miller's Batman in particular, you know, he uses so much like fascist imagery and like specific like swastika imagery and stuff like this through his work. And it was always like, oh, I wonder if it's like kind of being like satirical or he's trying to have a <laughs> message. And then Frank Miller gets older and he starts making stories about Batman killing Islamic terrorists. And you're like, oh, no, he's just a straight up xenophobic asshole. While Alan Moore was trying to like deconstruct these things, and Frank Miller kind of went the opposite way and sort of like constructed them. Yes. Well, and also it's weird if you deconstruct something and then continue to make it like Alan Moore deconstructed superheroes and then walked away. Like that's an integrity (laughs) move, in my opinion. He was like, you know, this is kind of messed up. I feel like I've been doing this for a while. Here's my like kind of final take on why this might all be a little gross. And now I'm not going to continue writing this stuff because that would be really hypocritical, honestly. Mm. Well, so I uh, just to um, keep us moving along and to get myself in here a little bit, I, I wish I could say that all of that, that thought that Alan Moore has put into this is one of the reasons why comic books and superheroes have always kind of missed me but it's uh, it's not it's not that well thought out i just feel like my main thing is that i was not exposed to it at the age where you could start to like them right and so when i started watching like the first i mean i had like a couple random you know i watched a little batman beyond when i was a child uh as a cartoon uh, just a fun cartoon series and it was fine or whatever but it was not i just i i didn't this is the crazy thing is i didn't no, I didn't know a single person who read comic books until I was in college. I never met a child who had read a comic book anywhere. And I don't know how this happened. I don't know why everyone knows all these comic book people. But when I was a kid and they were aimed at us, no one was interested in this. No one ever mentioned it. And I, this is one of my great life regrets is I feel like I've always been the wrong kind of nerd for every situation. <laughs> 
the kinds of nerds that have had a good run, not this kind. I was well, always you, just off center for what like comic book nerds were the ones who got everything they wanted. They got their thing to become did. the number one dominant media thing. Uh, full on like computer programming nerds got to be billionaires and destroy elections. Mm. Like everyone got to do that. I'm just always a little bit the wrong kind of nerd. But there's also like so all of us around the same age and we all grew up in like the post comic bubble burst time. Right. So like. From the 80s to, like, from the basically Watchmen, Dark Knight, through the early 90s, comics had this huge bubble. It gained this huge industry, and then, because, like, all big corporations, they took the wrong lessons. Right. They made it so that kids couldn't get into comic books by making Literally. Stuff. Yeah, Basically making... barred them, made it impossible for children to get to. That's why I was reading, like... I was like trying to get into comics that I started reading like stuff from the seventies. Cause that yeah. actually seemed like it was for children. <laughs> yeah. And like you huh. could only get comics at comic books and there was like a million variant covers and everything was price gougy. Like mm. I didn't get into comic books until, um, especially cause I grew up, you know, pretty poor until I realized around like 13, 14 that you can check out comics from the library. So mm. that was like how I got comic books. Like I couldn't afford to go and buy $30 graphic novels or whatever. So I would just rent, uh, check them out from the library. So I think part of my problem then was that this is also as a medium for consumption, as like the process of reading a, a graphic novel, it requires some practice. It's not the same as reading text um, where if you've read, uh, it's not like, oh, I've read um, these novels. I can't read this other genre of novel because it's so different of an experience. I, you can jump around easier in that world. This is like, this has technically words and pictures, which I'm very familiar with, but the process is different. And I feel like I missed the age range, like playing violin. I just didn't do it when I was, I had the squishy brain and now I have a hard brain and it just is so it's, it's a lot of energy to read a comic book in a way that reading a book book is not for me. And I've been working on it on and off for years. Like I have a, there's a couple superhero mo movies I've liked. There are a couple of graphic novels that I've read that I have enjoyed. Uh, but it is always like work in a way that reading regular books is not. Mm. Um, so I just don't have the ability yet to just have a pure, fun, enjoyable time. Mm. Um, but let me um, let's that's so that's a little bit of the history lesson. But let's jump in now to the content of this book. So for part one of this episode of the series, uh, this two part series, we are reading the first six books. It's twelve books. We read the first half of Watchmen. Um, so let me give you for those of you at home who have not read and enjoyed Watchmen, let me give you an opportunity to catch up with what we're talking about with my patented micro summary. So this is the 1986 comic book maxi series Watchmen, published by Detective Comics Comics written by Alan Moore and uh, Dave Gibbons doing the art and John Higgins the color, which I just found out when I was writing that, are two mm -hmm. different jobs. Yes. Um, so, and, okay. I mean, wait till you find out about uh, the letterer. That's also <laughs> its own job. Well, I Inking. have to say, Inking. the letterer, I, the ink, I don't understand that job at all, because they bold words that don't seem like the most important words in that sentence. I don't understand how they decide what words to bold. For example... <laughs> of just things that are confusing. It's like, why is ramp bold? And I'll take the ramp. Like, it just doesn't, does that help me read? Um, also is bold. Why is that bolded? Um, it's not, there's no pattern that I can discern. So the inker is doing a weird job. Okay, but anyway, here's the summary of what happens in the first six books of Watchmen. It's October, 1985. And a year after 
famous comedian Alex Falcone made his Earth debut. This one, uh, though, uh, there, but this book also includes a comedian, but he isn't working on a tight five for a late night set. Instead, he is a masked vigilante and sex criminal working for the U.S. government. And he's part of a fun club of fucked up superheroes uh, or wannabe superheroes, unclear, who uh, hang out and uh, do crimes or stop crimes. Hard to tell. So in his club (laughs) are Rorschach, who has a mask with an inkblot on it that shifts around as he's hanging out, but somehow always looks like my mom. Then there's (laughs) Night Owl 2, who looks like a Kirkland signature brand Batman. Then there's Ozymandias, uh, who's smart and has the shiniest, goldest legs, uh, like a Bond uh, girl. And then um, Silk Spectre 2, who is um, Polish. That's her character. And then um, Dr. (laughs) Manhattan, who got vaporized, but in typical comic book fashion, instead of that uh, hurting him, turned him into an exhaustingly magical creature. All I mean, these... I definitely think it did hurt him. It just also turned him into an exhausting magical creature. Yeah, that's fair. Yes. It does yes. not seem. It... it did not seem pleasant in the way he drew it uh, well, to be taken apart by light. But it was real fast. I don't know. Pull the bandaid off. Um, <laughs> anyway, so all of these superheroes, th- these sound like they might be normal superheroes in a classic detective comics comics comic, except. They're terrible people, uh, so they've been made illegal. You can't do freelance criminal executions anymore in this world. It's basically the plot of The Incredibles, but minus fun. And uh, so a comedian, not a comedian, has been murdered, and uh, this sets us off on our journey of investigating this murder, uh, led by Rorschach, who is um, very negative real negative nancy but he's the only <laughs> one who's trying to stop or figure out why people are murdering um perhaps superheroes um he's so negative <laughs> he's just oh what a downer that guy and then um also kind of a downer dr manhattan has given cancer to everybody he's had sex with so that sucks so he goes to well, mars to build sandcastles well he's only hold given up, hold cancer up. to one person he's had sex with and a bunch of co-workers oh okay i thought he also had sex with her mom what her mom has doesn't have cancer. Oh, I thought her mom was dying of cancer in that. No, that's Jenny Slate. That is yeah, Doctor yeah. Manhattan's old first girlfriend and long girlfriend. Yes, that's a completely different person than Silk she... Spectre One. Oh, I thought because he left no. her for a, a, a so um yeah in in a I don't even want to talk about it but um uh the guy who's really magical um just needs to fuck all the time he has to and uh so he leaves his girl but he doesn't age and so um you know uh his girlfriend aged out and so he left her for a 13 year old so what i love know what i love about being dr manhattan uh the girls keep uh you stay the same (laughs) uh they do keep getting younger she's not 13 but it's still a gross age she's 16 yeah oh i thought she was 13 um that's she's 16 his ex-girlfriend says that in like a dramatic, like he's like, like, uh, oh, it's like what's next a 13 year old or something. Yeah. Yeah. She, she anyway. she's, it's still bad. It's still bad. Yeah, I'm yeah. not, I'm so not he's trying a to pedophile. It. He's a magic pedophile who goes to Mars to build sandcastles. And then, um, also because he's gone, Russia takes over the whole world. And then, um, Rorschach goes to prison where he uses his, like, I'm a depressed 14 year old talk to ruin a doctor's life. Anyway, that's as far as I got. So that's Watchmen <laughs> up through the first six uh, books. How in did addition- you feel with the um, the Rorschach reveal of who he is? The guy did with that- the sign? Yeah. 
He's just a ginger with a sign. I don't know. Yeah. Seemed, I was like, just, well, there's. We keep seeing this guy's face, and he has red hair, which people usually use in um, movies to help you identify somebody later. And so I was like, he's probably going to be one of these people with masks. Mm, I'm not right. a genius, but if you only show me one other character, and then one character has a secret identity, well, I do make I, some assumptions. Watchmen yeah, yeah, has fair. a lot of characters. I don't know if that's quite fair, and it's like so much world building. And things happening in the background of every frame. Well, he um, could have been a newspaperman. He could yeah, have been uh, that kid uh, reading uh, the pirate comic book. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, there are some characters that aren't. You know, there's the kid reading the pirate comic, and then the guy, the newsstand guy. Those, those people aren't really could associated have been with the main plot. I just yeah. assumed that that guy with red hair was important, or he wouldn't have had red hair. I don't know. That's just like one of my tells. I think in. Um, in stories where they're like, you're you're gonna need to remember this face. Different color hair than everybody. Right. I like the yeah. idea that that's also a thing you do in life. Like when you shake someone's hand who has red hair, you're like, I'm watching you. This is gonna I, be important later. No, I'm like, you know what? Listen, it's so great to meet you. You matter to me later. That's all I know. I don't know why mm-hmm. you're gonna be an important part of my future. Uh, that's how I feel every time I meet someone with red hair. It's true. Um, yeah, or dyed so, hair. What a good. Six summary chapters. thank you oh uh, no. you know very very good summary uh mm. i truly i thought it really captures i mean hell it captures the filling and the themes of the book better than Zack snyder's film version yeah, of the yeah you're, you're, uh, so like, <laughs> at least I, your summary was aware of what yeah. the story is about <laughs> wait so um, Zack snyder who you're gonna make us watch a thing from yeah. later he made a movie of this that's not yeah. good everyone agrees well, We'll talk about it next week. Let's talk about the movie once it's because I want to not only talk about Zack Snyder's movies, but about like the different versions of it. So like I've went real deep in Watchmen this week. I read Sam Hamm, who wrote the Batman 89, his version of the Watchmen script that Terry Gilliam was going to direct with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, that didn't happen. Uh yeah, like uh, I read his weird all of Terry Gilliam's uh, projects go so smoothly. How did that yeah. one not get made? <laughs> like, could you just imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger this a uh, living body and a dead body are the same to me? Like, it's just I couldn't imagine. <laughs> wait, wait, he was going to be Doctor Manhattan. Yes, that's great casting. All yeah. the ever see of stars are the old photographs. <laughs> I, I actually think that is a brilliant interpretation very, of that character. Very, I like that a very. lot. How about in Vietnam, instead of me being 40 feet tall, it's just my dick is 40 feet tall. <laughs> this seems but, like Terry, this seems like a great character for him. Terry, the comedian can smoke cigars. Why can't Dr. Manhattan smoke a cigar? I will say that Dr. Manhattan is the, um, that book, that chapter was like mm-hmm. the part where I got real bored um, because it just got all magic-y and comic book-y. Except really? that one compliment that I have to it is that every other time where radiation in a comic book gives somebody superpowers and not cancer, I'm disappointed because um, mm. it really feels like you missed the whole point of radiation. Um, so I like that Wait, he does at least cause cancer. what's the point of radiation? Cancer. It causes cancer. That's the main thing that we know about it. And so if you're like, uh, oh, it gives you, it makes you like fly but it doesn't give you cancer, then I think you didn't really pay a lot of attention to the science. So I like that about it. But <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I mean, uh, the, the sort of the watchmaker chapter, the origin of Dr. Manhattan, I think is widely considered by most people to be like one of the highlights of the book, mm. Uh, mm. just because the artwork and the storytelling and the way it's the structure, it's the yeah. fact that, that 
you're learning about how Dr. Manhattan views, and it's actually a really, it's really important. To the, it's, it is weird kind of talking about this book like halfway through, but it is really important to the story that they establish that Dr. Manhattan doesn't experience uh, time in the same way that a normal person would in that he's kind of experiencing everything at once. So it's sort of like he knows the future, but he can't change it because it's, he can't do anything with his understanding of time. It's like, it makes him he, more of just like an observer almost, yeah, even though he's super do, powerful. He can't do anything he didn't do, right? Like that's, right. he is stuck in time. Like he will know that like Kennedy is going to get shot, but he doesn't know until he learns it. And then it travels back through time. If that makes sense. Like, nope. like that's what is the greatest thing about how Dr. Manhattan perceives time. And it's what makes him such an interesting character and especially it's like the stuff that i love about watchmen is like just reading through it again it there's like real subtle things that i you sort of don't pick up on and are fun to like sort of project onto regular superhero stories like when they when the first night owl talks about meeting dr manhattan it really does put into perspective like the idea of like the Justice League movie we're gonna watch in a few weeks is seriously going to straight face sell Batman being like, yeah, so I'm like a crime fighter and I'm like in really good shape and I'm really smart. What's your thing, Superman? Oh, you're a god. You're an immortal, <laughs> all powerful god. Right. Yeah, right. we're the same. You and I, yeah, we're, we're, well, we basically do the same thing. Yeah, uh, I do feel like isn't it because it's it's called Batman v Superman, right? That's what we're watching. Um, no, it Batman, does that's the other Batman. movie. That we're watching Justice League, which oh Justice is League, okay, but it is well because like, Batman v Superman as a title is already like heavy odds on Superman. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the thing is, it's it's a court case, and Batman has more money, so you have to think oh, that it's oh yeah. Um, but does God have to respect a judge's opinion of things? I don't know. That's what Watchmen's all about. That's the whole thing, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I what. Just the way the story kind of starts with, like, the murder mystery and reading, um, like, uh, the way I would go through reading at this time was I would read a chapter, uh, and then I would go back and reread the chapter without looking at any of the words, just solely watching the art. Mm. And it's amazing how much of the storytelling is done visually. Every frame has so much stuff going on in the background for world building and stuff you wouldn't necessarily notice. Um, just the construction and layout and the thought that went into every panel. Well, I mean, this, this is exactly book. the thing that I feel like this is where I feel like I'm reading in another language and they don't understand the language. So um, here's, here's my problem right now is that I want this to be fun for you. Cause this is fun for you. And I don't want to take that away. I don't want to rain on that parade. Um, so like, I want this to be an episode about how much fun you had reading a thing that you like, and I'm just a guy who didn't get it. That's all I am. I just, well, I, I, am down to hear, I, I, I am not precious about this book. Like the, the, it's, I think it's a great book. I think it's, it's obviously one of the best graphic novels ever made, but I also fully recognize that this is, this, this is a book that is deconstructing a thing that you don't really care about that much in the first place. So the idea that it didn't hit that well for you is not altogether that surprising. But I, I am, I'm interested to hear. Well, but I don't want. No, about this it. is what I'm saying is I don't want to take away the fun of having fun talking about it. Like so, I you know I felt like I, you know I like a murder mystery. That's a genre I can get into, and I even like a murder mystery being investigated by a guy who sucks and we can't trust. That's yeah. kind of fun. 
But then well, as soon and- as it's like, ah, oh, this guy's got magic and we're doing all this time travel stuff with him. And I like to- not time travel. Time travel would be great. I'm just experiencing time in this way. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, cogs are similar. Watches are similar to atoms. Cool. I get it. Mm-hmm. Circles and circles and stuff. And then you're just like, but just, he just floats to Mars and builds castles. It's just like, what could Matt, what, what could have lower stakes for the rest of this book than this guy just being so goddamn magic? It well, just I mean, makes, everything yeah. makes it boring. The idea that like he like why would a god care about our problems? Exactly, is, like the thing that makes doctor like sure. Makes so the, that but also, wouldn't you. can't we just say why would I care about a god's problems? Yeah, that's that's fair. But the the point of Doctor Manhattan is that uh, maybe it's maybe it's harder to maybe it's harder to evaluate him at this point in the story. Yeah, I um, think that's because maybe his problem. role doesn't quite make sense to you at this point, but. Uh, he he is essentially uh, a character. He's the he is he is a you know he's the only character with any real superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, which so immediately I just don't like him. Well, also I think, <laughs> I think that you're right, Hunter. That it is so. Like the thing about Watchmen is even within uh, like the first six chapters, within every chapter, everything serves a purpose within that chapter. But the real trick of it is how it all comes together in the end, yes. right? So, like, that's another thing of rereading through it this time that I've really appreciated was, like, taking it not as a whole story, but looking at it one chapter at a time and looking at the way he uses, like, intercutting different stories. Like, there's constantly dialogue from one scene happening in a panel somewhere else to like juxtapose those two words. Or right. Like so we images. also have to read this pirate comic yeah. book in the middle of another comic yeah. book. It's so like, the pirate comic, if you're book, not having enough fun with this comic book, here's an other comic book that you have to also <laughs> read at the same like, time. That, that like deals in one. I think it's like a genius bit of world building. And again, like, so the pirate stuff to tell the black freighter stories, it's like it, it as in each chapter, it, kind of sums up as a metaphor for what's happening in that chapter but then the entire black freighter story at the end of the day is a metaphor for what happens in the book so like you won't really understand the point of the black freighter until you get to the end of the book right and even then it's still like fairly open for interpretation but it's also one of those things that it's just like it's such great little world building that in like in a world full of superheroes People wouldn't want to read superhero books. Like, fuck that. I've I've seen what yeah, superheroes can do, you know? So, like, seeing this, like, the comic books getting really popular and the stuff about, like, the comic industry and how it worked. I don't know. I just... Well, yeah, because there's also... Okay, so let me talk about the in- interstitial matter, which you told me that I had to read. And that was, like, by, like one of the saddest texts I got this month um, is when I asked <laughs> you guys if I had to read that because... Uh, you know, one, I was actually like, at the time I was like, the first couple chapters, I'm like, this story is kind of fun. And then the in-between stuff is like, oh, what a slog it is to have to just read a fake autobiography about all this stuff. It just slowed yeah, down I, to a crawl. I, I, I think, uh, no, no, I, I, I think what you're saying, Alex, is totally fair. On, on, on my first read, I didn't really like the interstitial stuff, and I also didn't really like Tales of the Black Freighter. But once... Once you kind of get invested in the world itself, all of those details, there's a lot of of gold in there. Um, in particular, there's one where uh, you realize it's 
it's Alan Moore making fun of himself and calling himself out. Oh, um, yeah. He like likens about- himself to the writer of uh, Tales of the Black Freighter and calls out um, the the writer for the comp the the pirate comic uh, is uh, like writing out uh, panels that have like too much detail, which is something <laughs> Alan Moore is famous for. He'll like do like a word vomit, yeah. gigantic. Uh, like page long yes. description of one panel. Yeah. Uh, and I then almost, the artists don't even read it. <laughs> yeah. I almost set you guys, but it has spoilers for the book, but the mm. uh, Alan Moore script for Watchmen, the, the first page is literally describing just the first panel of Watchmen. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's a full page of text describing exactly what is going to happen in this panel. And like, He's making fun of himself there. Like it is. Um, and like, that's fun. I like that. And like I, the stuff about the way the artist is the person who actually is doing the revolutionary work. Right. It's just like and not getting credit for it, essentially, which yeah. is like a real thing that happens in comics still, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. You'd think the artists would be the all powerful ones and the writers would be like the lowly people that they don't care about. But it's actually the other way around. Yeah, I would love and to feel like I want to feel bad about that. I really do. Um, but it's a little hard for me to muster a lot of sympathy, given that you're telling me this is literally the only industry where writers get more credit than they deserve. Well, yeah, even I even mean, then, they as, still as a get, profession, I feel they, like we yeah, it's not it's not the most uh, respected profession, and a lot of things they get no credit. Um, well, like, even then, they get still get shit on by the company, and you know, like yes. I don't. So, like, um, a big part of why Alan Moore walked away from comics was because of the way DC, uh, walked away from, like, major comics, and DC in particular was because of the, like, the way the rights worked out for this was, you know, back before Alan Moore essentially reinvented comic books with Watchmen and the idea of graphic novels, you know, comics would be in print for a while, and then they would go out of print. And because Watchmen were all characters that Alan Moore created, the deal was that him and David Gibbons would share, uh, would each get 2% of royalties for Watchmen as long as the book was in print. And then once it went out of print, Alan Moore would get the sole rights to Watchmen. But because it became this huge hit, uh, DC has never taken it out of print. So he is, him and Alan David Gibbs have been stuck on their 2% profit sharing for the last 40 years as this generates, you know, millions and millions a year. And then what they do on top of that is there was a loophole in the contract that any merchandising sales that he would be entitled to with his 2%. If they are promotional items, uh, they don't have to pay him. So DC has all like Watchmen toys and stuff classified as promotional items so that first of all i am just so excited to get a vinyl toy of the comedian noted (laughs) vietnamese sex criminal Mm. uh or sex criminal in vietnam um yeah i i can't see why anybody wouldn't be clamoring for all of these great toys Mm. from all of these memorable characters yeah Um, i mean it's, well, and it, first off, it, it, it is doll, a weird thing to exist. Yeah. <laughs> this Rorschach doll has finger breaking action. Yeah, but <laughs> the the point is more of just the way that DC has really fucked over uh, Alan Moore and his and David Gibbons in terms of like the money they're owed from this book. 
uh, and the wild success of it. Uh, yeah, and, like, that's, that's, that's bad. I get like why they would walk away from that. Um, yeah, yeah. But from, yeah, it's, from getting screwed by a contract. Um, okay, let me change gears just a little bit. One other thing I think is very important to talk about in this um, first half of this book is just how uh, 80s this is. Mm-hmm. Like the specific anxieties um, are so tied to a, I don't, yeah, Russia taking Afghanistan being like a huge, uh, huge plot point. Um, I, the, uh, all of this, these things about the, what they're worried about the with nuclear the, stuff, the nuclear yeah. stuff is so, uh, 80s and it's so strange for me to get into, but it's an interesting time period to think about. Just all the stuff that's like, um, turned out to not matter that much. I guess that's just the, there's that's the weird thing about the Cold War is having been born like most or been alive mostly after it was over and it just kind of like after it fizzled you know uh, mm-hmm. to be like wow man we sure are worried about all these bombs coming I'm like oh that's cute well I mean I, the ending. well I think that one so like at the time you didn't have that and like a lot of terrible shit yeah yeah that's not a criticism for them not knowing that I'm saying it's just kind of kind of interesting to watch with for with the future knowledge like the I mean the whole idea of a doomsday clock clock is just so uh so specifically of this time Mm -hmm. and every once in a while you'll still see a story where someone's like doomsday clock moved up two seconds and you're like oh that's adorable look at you guys still but doing this thing this weird silly science metaphor I think that with the with Watchmen, the thing I love about it too is like I was talked a lot a lot here about it, it's like that world building and the way that it is the eighties but a completely different reality. Like the the idea of like Vietnam being the fifty first state, Richard Nixon still being president in his third term. Oh right, um, third term Nixon, the, yeah. The futuristic that was like, interesting. The cars and everything that's been changed because of Doctor. Yeah, Manhattan. cars are all electro- electronic because of Doctor Manhattan. That was cute. So, so it is like it's this heightened thing of um, the Cold War and the eighties, and it's the type of thing that I definitely imagine in eighty six. This must have been even more sort of like interesting to see, um, but I do think that like there is still like. This idea of like superheroes and gods and the way they would affect kind of the normal world is a really interesting thought experiment that you don't really see, you know, talked about too much. Like the Cold War would have been very different if we had had a god on our side, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, that's another weird thing about having um, the way knowing the way that it actually ended to be like, if we didn't have him, Russia would win. To be like, well, but... Is that how it would have happened? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that's uh, fair. I guess you could have thought that at the time. That's interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't think the, the nuclear stuff uh, resonates in the, in the same way anymore. Um, but what I do think uh, still resonates, and in fact, maybe even resonates more, like sometimes I feel more and more like we're living in the world of, of this book, um, is just all the right-wing stuff everywhere. Like, most of yeah. these characters are right-wing characters. Like, Rorschach is a very right-wing uh, type of guy, and they talk about the the that new Frontiersman newspaper, which is, I think, meant to be sort of like a, like a uh, I don't know, like a Breitbart or like a, yeah, like a, like a right-wing-style publication. Yeah, they, they're not in the first... They're kind of just mentioned in the first half, but the new Frontiersman becomes much more important in the second half of the book. Uh, so we'll definitely see a lot more of that. But yeah, the constant like right wing rhetoric 
um, the sort of like uh, pol- like overdone police states and all this well, stuff that is like like I think the the fears of nuclear wep like nuclear weapons and nuclear war or some something that aren't like super re- like related to us today, but the idea of like global catastrophe. And people being too selfish and stuck in their ways and too angry with each other to actually do anything and us driving our planet towards extinction, that is still relevant today. That's still happening. Like, that is just as easy to understand. If anything, it's more real than, like, the Cold War was, you know? So that's the stuff about the book that works for me, you know? So, yeah, and I'm not saying that it's not... um it's not real. I'm just saying it's, it's just a little bit of the time. And so it's kind of interesting to be in that eighties mode for a bit, but let me, so here's what I want to talk about actually about this really quick before we move on to our last segment is um, like, so what this is saying about comic books, which you've mentioned a few times, I think we should actually talk about, about like, how would this world actually be if these things happened? It would not be ideal. And the one thing that I think is really uh, one thing that I, I liked a lot is that they're basically like the kind of people who would do this, are basically cops who are mad they're not allowed to just shoot people. Yeah. <laughs> or they're not allowed to shoot people as often as they'd like, or they're not allowed right. to break yeah. fingers. Yeah. Like, basically, the, like, the vigilantes are a lot of just like, well, I was a cop, but I really wanted to make a difference by breaking fingers, and that's right. against protocol. I thought that was a good insight and a really interesting way to take yeah. this. Well, especially because so much of it, uh, and we're kind of getting more into it, but, like, there's all this, like... This like stuff about like is it is it like a weird sexual thing for some of them? It clearly <laughs> is. Is it a power thing? Is it um, like an odd sort of like race or self righteous thing? Like the different things that drive each of them is a big part of what makes Watchmen so unique yeah. as a yeah. book. To really well, dive into that, you know. One thing I kept thinking watching this or reading this was that like these guys seem sort of like the QAnon shaman. Like he was the he's the close you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah the guy from yeah. the Capitol thing who put yeah, on yeah. like his little shaman hat and was like I'm helping like that's he also what, can't get an erection unless he puts on his silly hat just yeah, like Nido totally. that's exactly that's how I felt like that's that's the closest that's the kind of person who would be doing this it's like yeah. oh man I heard this podcast well it's not a podcast it's like a YouTube series that got taken down but they um they told me that all this terrible stuff is happening to kids and so I. I'm going to go take a shit in Nancy Pelosi's office wearing my cool hat. Like right. that is, that's who superheroes feel like in this world. And I like yeah, that. Yeah. To- totally. And, and, and I, is- th- I mean, I think he's hit on something that is true to the origin of these characters. That is true to the, to the point of it all. And I think it is kind of sad that in a lot of ways, I feel like Watchmen asked a lot of questions of the superhero genre and everyone was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. It's like superheroes for adults. But then they didn't answer any of those questions. Like, I, I like, <laughs> there's a really good quote from Alan Moore where he's basically just making a pretty strong case for the fact that um, besides like uh, like uh, non-white characters and non-white creators, this this whole genre has like its origins in like white supremacy, essentially dreams of like the Ubermensch and uh, master race uh, kind of kind of deal. Uh, yeah. And I think Watchmen makes a lot of good points and, and shows shows uh, these characters in a light that makes them look grotesque. And then essentially, since this story, we're just like, yeah, the action figures and like <laughs> they, they should be on TV all the time. And like, it's like these can be for like, I don't think that Alan Moore hates this genre to such an extent that he doesn't think that 
you know, just because something has a really nasty origin doesn't mean that, you know, it still completely reproduces that. Like if like superheroes for kids, I think there's still room for that maybe in his worldview. Um, I just think he asked some questions of like, if this genre is going to keep going forward, like how is it going to deal with all this stuff? And I think largely since this book came out, the answer has just been like, eh, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, that makes me think of like, because I mentioned The Incredibles earlier, because it like clearly The Incredibles has a lot of like yes. of, of things in common with this. The, the conversation about capes, the the period where super supers are made illegal. But what The Incredibles does is they were like, but what if we just let them come back? Like, yeah. what if we just it wasn't illegal anymore because they're so rad. It like retook superheroes as a thing for kids in a way that feels right. like it must be a response, might be a response to this. It's like, and I think that's, yeah. I, I think that is, there's totally a place for that. I think it gets dicey when superheroes become a thing that is specifically marketed towards adults. And if you don't have any answers to this, these questions, I feel like it just feels a little empty, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's to me, it's, it's like, I think that there's, the use for more simple or even complex morality tales for like kids and stuff. That's why we have fairy tales, comic books. Like I think like that stuff's great for kids and it is fun to kind of deconstruct. But I think Alan Moore kind of gets into like writers like JD Salinger who have sort of one intention, but people so often just miss right. point. And when you're constantly having that, you know, like, by the time the third murder happens and J.D. Salinger is blamed, he's like, all right, fuck this. I'm just walking away. And Alan Moore's the same way, where he he purposely writes Rorschach to be, like, one of my favorite running jokes in the first six chapters is anytime Rorschach mentions he has friends, somebody's like, wait, you have a friend? <laughs> uh, like, he, Rorschach is a weird, smelly, gross, friendless freak. And... You know, Alan Moore talks about how, like, he wrote that purposefully, that this guy would be a weird, antisocial, xenophobic asshole. But, like, once a month, someone would come up to him and be like, dude, I am Rorschach. You wrote wrote that for me. I get what you were trying to say. If that person is... I mean, so... And it's like, yeah, no wonder he would be like, this is awful. You guys just don't understand well, I, what actually, I was trying to get Actually, it. to take this a little bit a little bit further and make this like harder to get for people to get on board with, I'm going to add an amendment to your uh, point that I agree with that is not gonna, you're not going to like, probably. But I do think in general, maybe you will, I don't know. But I have been thinking recently, like how much all of entertainment could or probably should reckon with the fact that they've been misunderstood so consistently that they might try harder to be clearer. Yeah. The satire problem. Yeah. The classic satire problem. And it's, it's true with this where you're like, Oh, Rorschach is clearly a bad guy, but you do just, you you draw him to look cool. Sometimes you have him do things that some people could misunderstand as cool. Like at some point you're like, why are you, I, I feel like, like, we've kind of made this progress with smoking in entertainment, but then not all the way. There's still a lot of movies that will come out where someone is smoking and looks fucking cool, which in real life, it's much rarer that you look really cool doing it. What are you talking about? I look cool every time I smoke. What are you? (laughs) Right. I mean, like in, in movies, one that you don't see about people smoking is that they're so often cold. 
they're so often standing outside and being like, I wish I could be inside right now because it's fucking cold out. Like there's just we, we just don't show that full view. We show it only looking cool. I feel that thing is absolutely true. Also with guns. I think it's true with uh, a bunch mm-hmm. of other vices that we are. Yeah. I'm not saying guns in movies are the reason why I'm like, I don't I'm not going to draw the full tipper gore uh, thing with it. Right. Was that was that her? Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not going to take it that whole way, but I'm going to say we might think it's been a, we have a lot of data now that people are misunderstanding us all the time. We should probably be thinking about how our, we're coming across. See, I, yeah, I, I think that's totally I, fair. I think we, we've had this conversation and I, I'm always of the opinion that I think uh, the problem is not the art. The problem is me, uh, media or art literacy. And that's a people problem, right? It's, it's the fact that like, we uh, are taught and rewarded for consuming stuff without thinking about it. And like, that's, it's not right to blame the artist when it's just yeah, like, I definitely think it is. It's so, my, my, this is exa- so that, that's the yeah. opposite of what I'm saying. Yeah. My point is that at some point though, you could be like, well, look, maybe the world isn't what you're hoping it would be where everyone knows everything about everything. Maybe you've seen when you publish this, people read it and interpret it in a certain way. Yeah. And at some point you might care enough to try yeah. to change that. Honestly, yeah. honestly, Alex, I think I, I, Alan Moore is a very self-critical artist, yeah. like oh, very I, yeah. self-critical. And yeah. I don't think that he would disagree with anything that you're saying, which makes it actually to me kind of, I would say, a bit tamer of a point than maybe you're giving it credit for. I think mm-hmm. it's totally uh, in in the wheelhouse to say, like, Alan Moore has dis- disowned a lot of things that he's done. He's oh. He's gone back on things and said this was too violent or this was like he's basically disowned the, the killing joke. Mm-hmm. which is a Batman story that people still try to adapt. Essentially people are still right, like, this book is awesome. And this. he's like, ugh, gross. I, so I guess, yeah, I'm not, this wasn't a point about Alan Moore. Cause I know so little about him and it, and I feel like that's, so that's how I would feel afterwards. If I wrote this and then this stuff like kept happening, um, yes. I would definitely feel that way. Um, I, I'm trying to make, I, I guess I'm feeling that I've been feeling that way recently about media with like, uh, cop shows, for example. Yes. Um, I feel like cop shows for like the last 15, 20 years made a lot of mistakes of making certain things look super cool that are not cool. And that has contributed to a negative view or like a, 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 a other problems. I've just tried to be vague about it because I know that this goes in a direction that I don't entirely like. So I'm being well, cautious. I mean, my, my issue with that is like, I think that there's a difference between um, making a that is like purposely, uh, disruptive and deconstructionist and like going out of the way to have edges and like cop shows, which even the best cop shows are a soft power piece of propaganda by the state and by the media to like, like that's like cop shows are designed to be propaganda to make cops look cooler. Right? Like that's, that's what propaganda is. And that's (laughs) the difference between that and something like, this, which is supposed to be like a little sharp and cut you a little bit. I think when like cop shows celebrate it, it's like, yeah, because you were working with the state to do propaganda to make cops look good. That's okay. So I think this is actually a really good place to be. This is actually a really good place to do to transition into our third segment, um, which will touch on some of these themes, but in a much stupider way. Stick around. Um, okay, so it is time for segment three, The Argument, Hunter. The Argument. There it is. Um, so the argument we uh, 
we like to set up a false dichotomy in the world and then uh, go too far trying to pick which side we're on. Um, today, uh, our argument is going to be related to what we we're just talking about and this book, superheroes. Are they good or are they whack? So um, you can take this either way that you would like. This can be in this book, in other movies, in if they were real. However you want to interpret that question. The superheroes, are they good uh, or are they whack? You don't have to do that last part. Um, that's just for me. Um, so how do you feel about it, superheroes? Wait, who's the judge this time? Well, this is going to be one of those three-for-alls that we did before. Oh, a three-for-all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I do think that... Because um... I think we all want to get some stuff in here. Especially yeah. as I've gotten older and sort of like sort of seen the, the rise sort of right wing, you know, fascism rising. There is like it does stand out even more. And this book, you know, deals with it straightly of like our superheroes fascist. Mm-hmm. Right. It Like inherently is the concept of people doing this and taking it in there. Is it inherently fascist? And I do think that that is a interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so are superheroes fascist, Anthony? I, I think a lot of them certainly are in there. Um, I think, like, I think that there's a difference between like this the heroes who are like, like the local neighborhood people who are just trying to do help. Uh, like that idea of like the sort of Spider Man versus the, someone like Batman, who's like again kind of the obvious example of how fucked up superheroes can be. But like right. this one man war on crime this idea that i get to decide what yeah vigilantism i have the resources to help people in real ways but i'm instead i'm gonna hospitalize mentally handicapped and mentally ill people something like spider-man when it's like hey if i got powers and i can stop car accidents from happening that's a little bit different than you know like going out every night just to hospitalize people you know I, yeah, I mean, I think that's the key to look at in this, if if these were real, is that vigilantism is the worst. It's just awful. And I, I don't believe in the death penalty in real life, and I don't believe it from a guy in a cape. I don't think he right. should get to do that either. And for a lot of the same reasons, which is like, you don't get to decide. Um, and also, what if you're wrong? That happens too often. So let's try, let's, let's slow our roll about things that are permanent when you are wrong such a huge percentage of the time um and also i just don't think this is the way justice should i don't think retributive justice makes a ton of sense and i think that's what a lot of uh, the superhero stuff is i there is this quainter version um of like old-timey stuff before it got dark which i've basically lived most we've all lived most of our lives in a world where comic book or superhero movies are dark but there's this old version where it's like uh, these guys who are wearing their uh, black and white striped suits to do their bank robbing. And I tie their hands behind their back and set them down and leave a little note for the cops. Like that part is maybe like, well, it's probably not great. You're not really doing a great job with due process and you are actually kind of messing up this investigation perhaps, but you're not just killing people and, uh, and, and, and doing it that way. So, but I think for the, the, the main thing for me, the main sticking point is that I do think vigilantism sucks. And so yeah. most of these are that. Yeah, but that's why I like the sort of what I was saying earlier about like morality tells simple, clean, good yeah. guy, bad guys. That's uh, why the bad guys wear and- those stripes. So, you know, so you don't have to worry. Is this a bad guy? He dressed up as a robber to do robberies. Yeah. And right. I do think like that stuff <laughs> is like 
Whether or not superheroes would be good in the real world, I, I think we kind of all sort of agree on that. But I think as so it's like, are superheroes for the culture good? And I do think that it comes to like morality tales are really good. I do think Alan Moore had this quote last year when he was interviewed asking about superheroes and he, superhero movies. And he talked about how like superhero movies have always been in the American lexicon. And he said, you know, the first superhero movie and really the first superhero story ever told was birth of a nation, right? That movie is literally mm-hmm. about a bunch mm-hmm. of people who put on costumes. Yeah. They're wearing capes, they're wearing right. hoods. Yeah. 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 So like so much of like you, there is a long history towards this that goes well, all but the way isn't back. Just a, I didn't, I, I listened to a podcast a while ago. Isn't it like, that the early radio superheroes took down the clan were like one of the things that contributed yes, to the clan. I mean, Superman totally. took down the Superman, clan yeah. in uh, the early things. Yeah. Like one of the writers for Superman um, went undercover in the clan. So he right, could right, right. secrets and then pit those in the Superman comics. To make right. I think, I think so, Moore's point is more about iconography than it is necessarily about like a literal interpretation. Oh, totally. Totally. I was just saying that's, that is interesting. Cause I think you're right about the way that thing about birth of the nation is that those people did think they were like caped superheroes yes. and to be like, look, don't you remember that the people in the stories, they were not you. They, they thought you sucked and yeah, you were right. going to take their stuff and do it wrong. I think that there is like a, a, you know, a sort of a confluence of effects of like, you know, special effects getting to a certain spot. And also, like, I do think that it's not surprising in a way that like comic book movies were getting pretty big. But I think in a post 9-11 forever war universe, the fact that they've become the dominant form of sort of American cinema is a really interesting thing to think about. Like, why do we as a people want heroes so bad right now and want people who can like fix a world? And like these, I think that there's, you can look at something between like the rise of strongman dictators and the rise of people wanting superheroes, right? It's like the idea that like, Oh, Captain America is out there and he's going to save us. He's going to do this, this sort of same love that people have, towards the MCU is very similar to how people feel about like Trump, right? Like it's, Oh, he is this every man. He is the strong man. He's going to save us. He's out there. He's looking out for us. He's dealing with the evil cabal of the deep state, which sounds like a super villain group. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay. Can I ask you, sorry, can I ask you a very tangential question about that? Just cause you mentioned Marvel. I feel like we live in a world where superhero movies are nine tenths of the movies that are available. And I am really disappointed by it. I find them to be boring. Um, But here's a question that I've had for a while that I've not bothered to look up that you guys probably know the answer to, which is why are all of the comic book movies Marvel when my memory of 20 years ago, 15 years ago was like, None of these characters existed. All of the superheroes were Detective Comics superheroes. How did they lose so bad in the uh, film world? Well, because D- Marvel took a huge risk and kind of had to. Like Marvel took one of the biggest swings in filmmaking history, where like you know Warner Brothers and DC have been the same company for a long time. Warner's Marvel's been an independent. Uh, kind of entity that to survive sold off all their big characters, right? So Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, uh, the Hulk, X-Men, yeah. So they they didn't have all their A-list characters, while DC mm. 
mm-hmm. has always owned all their characters vertically. They make all their movies in house. So like what Marvel did, which is actually like it's it's wild that it's paid off so successfully for them. But they essentially were tired of other studios fucking up their their characters. So they took essentially their B team, which is what they own still, Iron Man, Thor, and they took out a five hundred million dollar loan from some bank, and they self financed their own movies. So like the whole, all the first hmm. MCU movies up to the and including the first Avengers before Disney bought them were all self financed by uh, Marvel. So if Iron Man had failed. If Iron Man had not made money and they could not have paid back that loan, like Morgan and Chase would literally own Marvel right now. Okay, so that's yeah. fascinating. But it does the thing you said in, interesting there to me was also that these are their this this is acknowledged to be their B team because that's well, what I keep was. wondering. Now with, it isn't at this now point. They, right. they become, totally. Yeah, but that's what I kept wondering with new Marvel movies is like. Wait, who are any of these characters? Why are we? Yeah, like who cares about Ant Man? Who yeah, wanted an Ant Man the, movie? These are the Avengers. This is your yeah. assembled team. Is these? Yeah. Guys? You don't have anybody I've heard of on this team. Um, that uh, yeah, is, so that but, makes sense. But yeah, but also at the same time, DC has just kind of like notoriously blown it a bunch of times. Like they've had so many characters up to bat. You think about like the Green Lantern movie, the, you know, the bad Batman sequels before Chris Nolan kind of rebooted it. Their struggle with Superman they've had forever. Um, yeah, which is because he sucks. Um, actually, but that brings another great question that I want to end on is, those, I guess this the argument is not being as argumentative. We've two, agree, two agreed. So here's my last question for you guys, because I don't know enough superheroes to really make an argument here, but for you two, is there a superhero the character that would be kind of rad in the real world. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> an ideal version of Superman would actually You'd be into that alien well, God. No, well, that's, it, that's the worst possible. Well, no, I'm saying, I'm saying not like a realistic edgy Superman. Like if, if Grant Morrison's Superman, a, like what he, the character is supposed to be actually existed. Right. And wasn't like mm-hmm. a, a weapon of the state wasn't like a psychopath who wanted to be a god, but like the true ideal version of Superman as like the symbol of hope and someone who mostly goes around and like stops natural disasters from happening. Right. You know, right. like someone who is just like, like, like something like that. And who also makes fun of the clan. That's great. Yeah. And if you know, like, and I you also- made- I think uh, no. Nah, I, I I'm gonna push back and just say absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. There's no way well, around. So it. here's it, what I like about his absolute power, though, is that he's just a piece of shit on his own planet, right? Yeah, he's like, just some guy on his he's own. He's just planet, some guy, yeah. which is just like so. It's just like if or wait, Larry, isn't he a prince? Isn't isn't no. his dad like the? Well, or, well of is, course he's from money. They're all from money, but yeah. like, but he doesn't have powers there. He only has powers here. So I yeah. like the idea that it's like. Larry is in a spaceship and it actually ends up on Venus. Turns out there's a, a population there and it turns out the gas makes him really cool. And then he has to like go home sometimes and he's like, I'm just Larry again. I think that's well, a very he fun. He doesn't have a home. It was destroyed. Where I was destroyed. He's like, oh man, remember when I was home and I was just Larry and now I'm Venus God. That's kind of fun. Yeah. But yeah, of course it would. Cor- yeah. There's no way you would be a God and have that not go bad. So, okay. So who would you have then Hunter instead? Uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of like who would do the least amount of damage. So like a Spider-Man existed. who's just like, uh, I'm just like catching girls who are falling. Um, yeah. 
that's okay. I think I think Spider. It's it's a kind of a boring answer, but I think my answer would be Spider Man, just because he's kind of limited in the amount of you know business he can get up to. Um, I feel like he's not gonna like you know take over the world or anything. But I'm gonna go. Actually, I'm gonna change my answer to Blade because there's just too many goddamn <laughs> vampires out there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That would be helpful. Actual half human, half vampire. Vampire Hunter. Why don't we have one of those yet? I'm constantly running into vampires, and uh, we need a blade. I'm into it. I'm into it. That's a great place to end that segment. One more quick thing before we go. I just have one email that I want to read, um, which is from Hannah, our librarian friend, uh, who forwarded along the important release notice that E.L. James has written a new book um based on sort of like midnight sun uh if you guys remember which was the twilight but from his point of view so now the 50 shades of gray series is getting the from his point of view book so uh there's a new cash in el james 50 shades of gray which we will not be reading i'm mostly telling you this just to let you know that the book freed by el james um 50 shades retold from christian gray's point of view will not be consumed by this podcast for any less than a thousand (laughs) dollars That's the price. If you want to sponsor Freed, $1,000, and I will read it. And that's it. Nothing less. So uh, it does exist, and I'm glad to know about that so I can know that I'm never going to do it. Um, just have done too much of that series. So thank you, Hannah, for keeping me up to date on this terrible thing. It's sort of like how like trilogies started doing a thing where the third movie is two movies, right? It's like, right. this is the new, if you're like, you know, kind of a junky pop author where you're like, I'll just just do the same outline. Just flip the characters. I don't like it. Um, but anyway, that exists. Just thought you guys should know. And that is it. All right, everybody. That is it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with the second half of our Watchmen duology. Duology. Um, duology. Duology. Anthony, before we go... Please tell me, what should I, what do you want to give me to take into the second half of this work? Um, I think go in uh, with your uh, seat buckled and, okay. uh, you know, have a whole chair to sit on, but you're right. only going to need the edge of it. Only so gonna need the edge. All right. Um, you did no. mention um, last time you told me, by the way, this guy named Rorschach, you're not supposed to like him. And that did help, frankly. I didn't like yeah. him, but I was like, well, it's good to know that other people also don't like him. Yeah, well, he is. I, I, I don't know why that disclaimer is necessary for people, but it I does feel, feel like. I feel like I probably would have gotten it. Um, I think you would have too. I just, I, I just wanted you to know that the author their point of view is that you're not supposed to like this guy that i, I think that's it's where weird to sit up. down and write this many pages where a person i hate is the main character um yeah that's I a mean, weird way to do it it makes sense within the story like you have to finish like i'm very excited I'm going to. that's what's happening next week. Get to the end of this i if yeah. you hadn't told me that though i mean i know i would not have liked him but i would have been like because the because the thing about rorschach is he, every almost every quote of his belongs in the subreddit i'm 14 and this is deep Yes, like exactly. everything he says feels like that, and so it was nice to at least be warned. Yeah, this is a sucky guy on purpose. You're so definitely it, supposed to laugh at his lines sometimes. Like good, I'm okay. certain of it for yeah. sure. Good, good, good. Well, and also he's supposed to be like cool in the sense that like comic book vigilante characters 
uh, cool until you dig deeper. Right? That's the thing. Well, about and also Warren. he's full of shit. He basically yeah. he'll say like I don't make any exceptions for people, and then like he makes exceptions all the time. Like someone will be like, oh please don't hurt me, and I'll be like, all right, fine. Like <laughs> right. He's not yeah, even I, the guy he says he is. Yeah. I, I I do enjoy that. Okay, so I but I get no warnings for the second half. I'm just gonna go in. If you guys at home have any warnings for me for the second half of Watchmen, send us an email, podcast at read-weep.com. I'd like to hear your thoughts also on uh, which superheroes you think could actually do a crossover with the real universe. So anything from a cinematic universe of superheroes that would work in the universe, cinematic universe. I would be interested in that argument. I know there's a lot of them that I have never heard of, um, so I, maybe maybe it has to be an obscure one, but give me one that might work. I'm open to it, um, and probably who will do the least damage. Thank you, as always, to all of our meat buddies who support the show and keep us just shambling down the tracks, and uh, thank you, everybody, who's been commenting on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. Thanks for being here, Anthony. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I See hope it's still week. fun for you, even though I'm a bummer. Thanks for being here, Hunter. Hey, you're not a bummer, Alex. I, and I appreciate your takes. I like I, I like hearing you weigh in on on something like this. And this is this book is made to be critiqued. It is not. There's well, yeah. There's not. I will say, interesting in book for me right now because I feel like whether I like it or not is in the balance. And so it's kind of a fun cliffhanger right now for an episode to see if next week I'm going to get all the way on board or all the way off. I feel like I'm yeah. at the dock and I have to make a decision soon. I really don't know. So that's why. That's yeah. why. Ooh, I think it's yeah. Exciting. For everybody. Well, thanks, everybody. I look forward to finding out the answer next week. Goodbye. Bye. Did, um...